Hey everybody, welcome back to Salted Hash. I'm your host, Steve Reagan. Today I'm joined by Philip Grimes. We're going to be talking red team stuff. Stay tuned and we'll be right back. Welcome back, Philip. How are you? It's good to see you again, man. My boy, Grape Ape. Yeah, man. Uh, the, the week end is almost here, so I'm doing pretty great. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So uh, we, we won't disclose where you are, but I, I do get the distinct feeling there's a lake involved somewhere, so I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Lake lake in the middle of the woods. I'm just waiting for this interview to wrap up so I can get out and do some fishing. Oh, see, look at this. I'm keeping him hostage here right now. I like that. So um, last time you and I talked, you were sharing some wonderful red team stories, and we got into a bit of a conversation about not just like some of the really interesting things that, that happen while you're out in the field doing you know physical assessments and network assessments and things like this, but we also got into uh, the topic of words matter, and people tend to think they need one thing when in fact they need another. So I think today, if you don't mind, let's start by by talking about the difference when like somebody says they want a red team assessment, but they can't really handle a pin test yet. How do you work with customers like that? You know, that's one of the biggest struggles um, that I encounter as the the leader of, a, of, well, as anybody in a team. I mean, a, a member of a team, you always struggle with the fact that sometimes customers tend to bite off more than they can chew. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, the the statement that words matter, that's something that's becoming a lot more prevalent in the industry lately. We have, uh, we've seen a lot of, of conference content, a lot of, you know, content online about how we need to standardize the verbiage uh, throughout the industry and so that that can spill over into uh, operations, into yep. where our customers are working. And uh, unfortunately, that's just not happening yet. Um, like most things, we're seeing security become a bigger thing. We're slowly starting to see that verbiage standardized, but um, it's it's a constant conversation and a, a, a an education effort. So when I get a customer, for I'll, I'll give you an example here. Recently, we had a call where we were doing a, a an RFP for uh, a red team engagement, mm-hmm. and to me, I mean that a scoping call for red team should be pretty quick, quick and simple. Come get us, sign the paper, and it's done. Right? There aren't a whole lot of rules in that that yeah. type of uh, environment. But when we talk, they they start saying, well. You know, we aren't going to let you fish our people. We aren't going to let you do any kind of social engineering. You can't hit our physical perimeter. You can't touch any of our actual stuff. It's like, okay, so what are we doing here? We're not even, we're, we're, we're basically doing a glorified vulnerability assessment and you're trying to get us to sell you something and call it a red team engagement. And it's just trying to, uh, trying to talk them through understanding what each phase of the, uh, the attack model looks like from, Things as as trivial as like vulnerability scanning, which really is a very low value anymore, uh, into actual vulnerability assessment, penetration test, up into that more red team type yeah. Uh, yeah. attack. And, and so it's just constant education and talking and trying to, rather than build a uh, a customer vendor relationship, it's really building a partnership with your customers so that they understand what you're talking about and that they feel and realize that you have their best interest in art too. So then it's really on the team that's doing the assessment or the, the, 
the engagement to make sure their customer does understand the nuance behind totally. why you're there and what, what you're there for. So then my question is, when you, when you run into this situation and they have all these limits on the scope, why are they doing that? Is it confusion or are they afraid that, you know, don't, don't fish our people because we know you're going to get in that way? Is, how does that uh, work? It, it, it's a combination of both of those things, and, and the reasons are many. I mean, first of all, you have the fact that a lot of these places are trying to just check a box. They just want mm-hmm. the compliance to be able to say that it's done. And less often does that ever approach the line of a red team assessment. Most of the time when they're talking a red team assessment and, and they dumb it down, it is more because of ignorance. Um, they don't necessarily know what a, what a red team assessment is. Um, everybody hears that term red team and it's ubiquitous with the attackers. So, yeah, I mean, I've heard it be, uh, I've heard red team used as a reference for the very lowest level of what we would call skiddy type stuff. Um, and then the, the more advanced security posture the customer has when they're actually able to handle that real red team, uh, type engagement, then they start to learn, that that's, you know, eliminating scope, that that's eliminating pretty much everything except for, you know, an attack window. So you've got X amount of time that you're going to be throwing everything at us. We don't know when you're coming. We don't know how you're coming. We just know that you're coming. And it's it's just that um, that constant, you know, trying to talk and using the standard verbiage. Makes sense. So speaking of verbiage, you and I also uh, talked about some common key phrases that some people get confused about. So I figured since I've got you on the phone, let's, uh, let's, let's do a little bit of a hybrid here. Tell me your favorite dumpster diving story while we explain what dumpster diving is. Oh man. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, this, I I don't tell this story too often, um, because it really is my first foray into professional dumpster diving. I actually, um, the little bit of college that I took, I put myself through college with dumpster diving. I'd go and like dig stuff out and rebuild computers and sell those to be able to pay for a little bit of, uh, of college money. That's, that's um, dope. But once I moved into, uh, to the consulting world and I realized that, Hey, that's actually uh, a viable attack vector. Uh, and we started selling, you know, dumpster diving engagements. I, I found myself uh, in a dumpster in the middle of the summertime. Um, oh, the heat. <laughs> I didn't, the, the, the downside to it is, you know, sometimes when the customers know that you're coming, um, they tend to stack the deck. They try to stack the deck against you. So I was given a very specific day and a very specific dumpster with which I was supposed to target. Um, so I went in this hot, hot August day and I start jumping into this dumpster and it wasn't the first bag that I was through before I realized this was nothing but bathroom and food trash from this facility. Uh, the entire thing, it was, it was about waist deep and all of the bags were nothing but bathroom and kitchen trash from this. It was a fairly sizable building. So it was, it was kind of nasty. Um, as I'm digging through the bag, so the point in dumpster diving is typically to find something of value. Depending on the threat model of the attack, you know, what that value is changes. When I was younger, it was, you know, trying to find hardware that I could salvage to make a little money off of. When I'm an attacker in this type of a situation, though, it tends to be, you know, what data can I steal? Is there intellectual property? Is there sensitive information that someone forgot to shred or shredded improperly or whatever the case may be? 
So why is this my favorite story? Well, <laughs> A, it was my first, you know, it was my very first uh, foray into dumpster diving professionally. So that that's a big deal to me. Um, B, it was pretty gross. Again, imagine, you know, what's in the bathroom trash and the uh, kitchen or, or break room area garbage of your office. And you can tend to you know, imagine that as a dumpster full and you can tend to think how, yeah. how fun that can be. Um, but I'm most proud of the results. So um, the the target here was a financial institution. So ideally, the overall threat model was something that was related to PII that I could take and make some sort of malicious use of. Um, I found three working debit cards. Oh. In, like, like complete, they, they weren't shredded, they weren't cut, they weren't deactivated. Like these were working, available uh, debit cards that we were able to salvage from this trash and prove that we could reuse if we were malicious. Wow. Um, and that, you know, that proves that what goes in the trash tends to be a risk and people, again, just don't think about it. So let's talk a little bit about tailgating. That's uh, one of your favorite means of just kind of accessing a building. What, uh, what, what happens when you get caught tailgating? Tell me a story about a time you got caught tailgating while we talk <laughs> about what that is. Um, so I, I did a, I did an engagement some time ago where um, I gained access to the facility fairly quickly, and I was able to maintain access across several floors of this building um, simply by tailgating. And you say tell you about a time when I got caught. The fact of the matter is I have never been officially confronted or stopped tailgating, never. Nice. Uh, if I, tr if I've launched a tailgating attack, I've been, I've been able to execute that. Um, the only issue that I've really ever had when it comes to tailgating is that I've had people who knew the organization was small enough and they knew I didn't belong to the point where seeing a big, ugly, creepy guy hanging around the doors. <laughs> and I tend to, you know, I tend to target um, smaller people than myself, which is pretty much anybody. But I mean, <laughs> for the most part, I try to go after um, people that I want to make them feel uncomfortable because I'm trying to get them to alarm, right? I want to give my my adversary some ability to, de to detect and to determine that they're under attack. So um, I, I, I get a complaint from my point of contact that said, okay, well, we've had several concerns from some of the females in the office about you tailgating them. And that's the only time I've really ever had much was that someone would make a, a, a report. Um, the sad thing is it wasn't until well after the fact. I had already been able to breach the perimeter. I had been on the floor and no one said anything to me during the attack. It wasn't until after the fact that something was said. And the point is they need to talk to you during the attack. That's, that's when it's key, when it matters most. See something, say something, yep. you know, and it's kind of like training a puppy. If you, if you go rub the puppy's nose in a mess two days after it's made it, it's not going to learn anything yep. from the situation. You've got to confront and deal with it yep. during the attack. So then moving a little bit forward from that, once you gain access to a building and you're walking around, uh, standard awareness training always talks about don't leave notepads at your desk, don't use sticky notes with passwords, things like this. But we all know it happens. We all know it's going to be done. In fact, depending on how complex the password is, if you just keep it out of sight, maybe writing it down is the smart thing because you don't want to lose your, your, your cool or get kicked out of a, a critical system. But sticking it on the, the monitor just doesn't ever seem like a really good idea. That daily journal with the password written on the front of it 
probably not another one. What are some of your favorite places to find written down information that's useful later in the engagement? Um, well, you know, because of the nature of what I do, the technical assets tend to be the first place that we look. So if I can gain access to the desktop, um, we look for passwords.txt mm -hmm. spreadsheets that have that stuff in there. I mean, unfortunately, that's still a, a very common thing. Um, but when we're talking more in the physical layer, um, you know, I've seen sticky notes posted, pasted underneath the keyboard, underneath the phone. Um, I've seen them posted, stuck on the back sides of monitors so that they're out of sight. Uh, I've seen a, you know, the, the, if you're in a cubicle and you have those cabinets above with like the yeah. lift up, it's like a lift up cabinet above you. Um, I've seen pages taped on the inside of that cabinet door <laughs> full of passwords. Um, and then, of course, I think the last time you and I talked, I told you the story about the password. Yeah, the guy who wrote it on the ceiling. That was hysterical. That's gonna always, yeah, that will <laughs> always be my favorite. The fact of, I mean, talk about some security by obscurity, just putting things in plain sight where the average person isn't going to look. That that uh, will always stick out as the most. But um, they're, they're, those are my favorites. Yeah. It, 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 every time um, I think back to that story where he's, you, you're just watching this guy and he's staring at the ceiling and then suddenly he goes into the vault and then he comes out, goes back and he stares at the ceiling again and you're like, all right, monkey see, monkey do. And you look up and there it was. <laughs> the, the combination's like right there. That was genius. Yeah. I wish that was a joke, but no. No, story. It's, it's, it's real. <laughs> it happened. So wrapping this up, I guess – What's your advice to organizations who need to understand, all right, I'm not ready for a, a full-on red team engagement. I need something a little different. What's your advice for them? How, how should they go about knowing when to step their levels up for their, their posture? Um, that's a tough, a tough question to ask for somebody that uh, like me. I try to avoid seeming salesy at all, and yeah. I, I don't want this to become that. No, it's, it's not a salesy thing. It's just – But what... the, fact, the fact is the first advice is be honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, don't try to fool yourselves or your peers or your, uh, your bosses into thinking that your posture is better than it is because you will sadly be shown the truth. Um, the, then the next thing would be to find someone that you can trust to work with, to help evaluate and improve that posture. Uh, so, so finding somebody who isn't necessarily a security vendor who comes in and just offers you the penetration testing services or whatever. Um, but to find someone who can come in and, and can say, okay, Let's let's start at the ground. You've never had a penetration test before, so let's start with a vulnerability assessment. Great. You have your you have an internal vulnerability management plan. Let's see how that works. And then once we build from there, um, it, th having the relationship with a, a a partner who can help to like I said, evaluate what the posture is to show metrics for the improvement of that posture and then to take the results when we do an evaluation and to bring that back in some way that it can be usable rather than just throwing, you know, here's a, a hundred page report full of junk. Um, I would rather have 10 pages of information that I can take back and make useful. Yeah. And that's what I think we need to find more often in our, our security partners than uh, just a, a raw, here's a technical report, go figure it out for yourselves. Perfect. 
If you guys want to learn more about red teaming or anything else, remember to check us out online at CSOonline.com. And of course, this has been Phil Grimes. I'm Steve Reagan. Thanks for watching. You have a great day. Thank you.